part of the Press Play Podcast Network. This is a professional introduction of a professional podcast. I promised I would deliver. It would not be chaotic, and I am delivering right now. This is the Ball Card Show, the sports podcast. For the sports collector. I'm Jason Otero. I'm Gary LaMaster. And as always, we are brought to you by the... Press Play Podcast Network! I wasn't ready for that. I almost made it all the way through that. You clipped the hell out of it, too. Yeah. Yeah, dog. <laughs> Anything worth doing is worth if, clipping if, the mic If, you're, if your uh, speakers in your car are still vibrating from that, you're welcome. You need to go get you some Alpines. Yeah, you're welcome. Remember that when Alpine was like... I remember in high school... We had guys who would spend so much money on a sound system for their $600 car. Oh, yeah. And when they turned the subs on, you could almost see parts of the car falling off. Yeah. But the sound system was worth three or four times what the car was. There was a guy in our town who went by the nickname Ted Dog. I've been to the area of Indiana that you grew up in, so that's not surprising. Dude had some form of a Chevette hashback, I believe. <laughs> and he had full-on Pioneer cabinet speakers in the backseat oh, of that car. Oh, three-cylinder lawnmower engine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, we were bumping. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I could not afford Alpine speakers um, at all, but I did have Pioneer speakers in my... 89 Dodge Dakota long bed. <laughs> Bald tires, single cab, brakes work some of the time. Oh, one of the first gifts that I ever got my wife. We had only been dating oh, a month or two. And she had a 1998 Plymouth Breeze. Oh. And the sound system was not great, obviously. Factory. This story is going really well. Well, no, I you said it's heading somewhere. Yeah, I okay. I bought her a new dash system, mm-hmm. and I at the time didn't really understand that the dash part of the sound system doesn't matter all that much, other than like Mm-mm. what you're looking at and touching and feeling. So I spent a bunch of money on a dash system, and it didn't really improve the quality of sound that came out of that piece of shit car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you for that. And um, <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. It that's was, what that's what she that said. That was one of the worst stories. <laughs> that's what she I've said. I've ever heard you tell. <laughs> uh, for those of you out there with the Plymouth Breeze, and, uh, <laughs> don't know, don't buy a Pioneer a, Dash a, system. A dash system. Well, I think you can feel us on that. And <laughs> I'm glad that at least. Um, well, I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but I do understand where you're coming from. And once again, we've completely derailed the show before we've <laughs> even got started. Well, let's just jump into some stuff. All right, let's talk about the Super Bowl. It happened. It uh, did. You and I watched that together. Um, we so we had an interesting conversation before predicting what would happen, and kind of both of the things happened that we predicted. Um, your prediction was that the Niners would dominate the game, which for the first half it really felt like that, regardless of what the score said. It seemed like the Niners were just in control of everything that was happening. And then the thing that I said was, if um. 
if Kansas City can stay in that game, it's it's them. Like, if they're able to somehow be close in this, but we both weren't sure that was possible. Right. Well, daggone it, it happened. Well, I mean, San Francisco in the first half should have been up 20 to nothing. Like, I've never seen a team offensively be more in control of a game and even defensively be more in control of a game and yet shoot themselves in the foot over and over. First drive of the game, I don't think they had less than seven yards per play. And then McCaffrey fumbles. Otherwise, they score on the first drive of the game and go up seven nothing. Mm-hmm. McCaffrey fumbles. They get a stop, and then later in the game, they force a punt, and it glances off of one of their feet, and instead of just falling on it, the returner tries to scoop it up. Kansas City gets the ball, scores and right that, there. And that all happened really fast. It was kind of yeah. weird, but... I don't, like, I don't think it was a huge mental error for him to try to get the ball. It just didn't have time. Kansas City, Kansas City, for the vast majority of that game, did not win that game. San Francisco lost it. Now, Kansas City, at the end of that game, did do all the things that they needed to do. Let's talk about their path to the Super Bowl, because I think that's the one thing that's overlooked, because this team is quickly getting the treatment that the Patriots got for several years. Right. Because they keep winning and they're annoying and they're on TV all the time and I don't like. Okay, for those of you at home, Gary just decided to rip the microphone crudely off of the stand. Yeah, that happened. So now you get to listen to him screwing the microphone back onto the stand. Why don't you mute me real quick? No, I'm, I think we should share this with everybody at home real real easily here. All right, Gary, you got it. I don't though. That's yeah, the problem. No. Hold on a second, people. So um, what you missed was uh, <laughs> Gary uh, manhandling the mic and destroying it. I but tried to I tried to adjust the mic and my I don't understand my own strength sometimes and just pop. The yeah, your head Sasquatch right off. hands just <laughs> rip that. So where were we? Oh, uh, Kansas City. So let's talk about the path. You know, Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, <laughs> Niners. Um, yeah, was, I mean, they, they ran a gauntlet. I mean, I, I don't yes. think... Did they have a harder path forward than the Niners did? Through the um, playoffs? I don't think so. No, I don't think so because the Niners had to buy. Uh, the Niners did have to dig deep to beat the Packers. Yeah. Um, But, again, the if you just watched everything but the score, and you just watched that game, and you never saw a score, and you never saw scoring plays... You would think that San Francisco won that game by 30. I disagree. I do agree with that in the first half. I do not feel like the second half looked like that at all. No, Shanahan. Well, the second Kansas half. Kansas City Shana- was stopping their offense. Well, Shanahan, for some reason, abandoned the run game. It was eerily similar. It was eerily similar to the Falcons Patriots Super Bowl when the Falcons were up 28 to 3 and they lost the game. And Shanahan was the offensive coordinator there for a quarter and a half. They just abandoned the run game mm-hmm. with a lead. It made no sense. Yeah, yeah. And then they were like, oh, we probably ought to run the ball again. And all of a sudden, now they're marched down the field and doing what they have to do. And uh, there were so many plays in that game that could have gone in a different direction, the the punt that was a turnover. Uh, if that doesn't happen, the game probably doesn't end the way that it does. The game gets to overtime. If Jake Moody doesn't miss an extra point, the game doesn't even get to overtime. I don't the like playing those games game. because you have different – like Kansas City responds differently because they'd be down. I, I Right, but even in, even in overtime. Let's yeah. talk about in overtime. The Niners get the ball, which was a weird choice. 
and it came out later that some of the players didn't even know that I heard that they that did not the understand. overtime rules. But Niners get the ball, they march down the field, and they get to a third and goal. And if the the Shanahan dials up a fantastic play call, if the right guard can hold up for one and a half seconds against Chris Jones, it's a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But he holds up for about .2 seconds, and Chris Jones is right in Brock Purdy's face, and he can't do anything but just chuck it away. Yep. Um, there's a guy about to be wide open for a touchdown, and there was no time for it. Now, I will say this. Uh, anybody who watched that game and said to themselves, oh, Brock Purdy's definitely a fraud, is an idiot who doesn't know football at all. If I haven't seen a lot of that on the social. I've seen a little bit of it. And if you're that guy, listen very closely. Either shut up or learn football because you don't know what you're talking about. Brock Purdy made more wow throws in that game than Patrick Mahomes did. You ever and thought it about, wasn't even close. You ever thought about asking him on a date? Who? Brock Purdy? Yeah, because you, you're jonesing him real, no, real bad. No, I'm not jonesing yes, you him. Are. But what I yes, am, you are. what I am <laughs> sick of is people who don't know about things talking like they know about things. Brock Purdy made some throws in that game that we were sitting on the couch watching this game, and I looked at you and went, holy shit, yeah. did you see that yeah. throw? Yeah. Like, I didn't say that one time about a Patrick Mahomes throw in that game. I said it about some of his runs. I said it about some of his escapes. I didn't say that one single time about a throw that he made in that game. But at, at some point, he's getting lumped into a class of quarterbacks that – you don't give that quarterback a minute. No, with for, one score. No, a hundred percent. He he will put the ability to put the team on the back. The fact back that is, the fact that the Niners let him pick up three first downs on read option plays run. Yeah. on read option plays, and especially when Nick Bosa had done such a good job the yeah. whole game of maintaining outside leverage. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's this is a great point. Let me interrupt you. Look at what Mahomes was up against the defense coming after him at the end of the Super Bowl we're talking an elite line elite the best right the most talented the Niners line no not even close what are you talking about you got one all pro on that line the rest of the line is average to below average I would disagree with that well the PFF numbers speak for themselves okay Chase Young Oh, you're talking about defensive line. I thought you were yes. talking about the offensive line. Yes. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about their offensive line. No, I thought you were talking about the offensive line. No, the PFF that. No, the defensive line is spectacular. Yeah, I so thought you were talking about their offensive that, line. That that is, you know, you if you look at, of course, you know, the, the Niners are probably like on paper the most holistic, excellent team, right? Both sides yeah. of the ball. Drake Super Greenlaw talented. getting hurt hurt a lot too. Yes, for sure. Which was terrible. You just saw him like getting out there, and you're like, "That's Achilles." Yeah, and sure. he did. They confirm just, that was it. Achilles? Uh, yeah, okay. and he just was going back onto the field. Yep. Um, but for the team that, okay, so for Mahomes, what I'm trying to say, and I'm doing a poor job of it, is for him to put that drive together with the plays that he put together took a real set to call those. Late in the game, yeah, those 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 running those options, and against that defense that he did, I don't love the guy personally. I'm not even sure I like him, but I'm starting to feel some similar feelings that I felt against Tom Brady. Now I'm not oh. saying he's the goat, but I'm starting to feel that way where it's like, won't this guy ever freaking lose? Like I'm tired of seeing it. I I would say that 
he's a ways away from being anointed the goat. But well, I, yeah. But I don't think that there is an argument that can be made that's in any way, shape, or form logical that Mahomes is not one of the three best quarterbacks to ever play yeah. in the NFL. And I, I don't like even hearing you say that. I know, but, but I don't I think also, I don't think there's an argument that can yeah. be made that he's not. Yeah. Um some weird stuff happened too. Uh you have the Kelsey on the sideline getting into it, bumping into Reed. Uh I didn't like that. No um, the, at all. Jason called him out on their podcast this last week about it. Um to Reed's credit, he he didn't he wasn't mad about it. One of the things that Jason Kelsey said that's true, and this you probably find this in your own life. If you are, if you have any type of now, this doesn't count for strangers because we've all had road rage and yelled at a stranger or whatever else. But the people in your life that you're around on a day to day basis, you're not gonna do that to anybody that you're not super close to. Not. Not at all. Like the, we we tend to dump on the people that we care about the most because it's who we can get away with it with. Like they're who catches the brunt. And Kelsey and Reed are extremely close. And yeah, Kelsey crossed the line. And if this was not professional sports, he would probably have not stepped another foot onto that field. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, that happens week ten. Yep. Is he suspended? No. You don't think there is a consequence week 10 if that happens? No. Interesting. I'm not so sure. The only reason I say that is because it is very apparent the type of relationship that Kelsey and Reed have. That's exactly what every PR person would want them to say. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't I don't think there is. I think that you've got Travis Kelsey, and you've seen it from his brother, too. It, it all stemmed from him wanting to be in the game yeah. on a crucial play, right? It, well, was, yeah, so okay. they, they they were going down to score, and Pacheco fumbled, and he fumbled because the tight end of that side couldn't hold a block. Yes. Yeah. And so Kelsey had just been taken out of the game in a package and was not happy anyway, and then that happened. And yeah. he's like, put me back. That's not going to happen if I'm on the field. You can't take me out mm -hmm. in those situations. Like that's a hyper competitive dude yeah. who cares about winning. Cares and did he take it too far? You're damn right he did. Yeah. Um. Would he probably in the exact same situation if this one hadn't happened have done something? So I don't think he meant to bump Reed. I think that Reed was a little bit off balance and it just yeah. got it just kind of happened. It was a terrible look. It was not a good look. Um, but no, I do not think that if it happens in week 10 that he gets suspended or anything. Yeah. Well, hopefully Kansas city starts to, uh, fall flat, but they, uh, they're probably not going to, I do want to talk about <laughs> one thing that's fairly serious, uh, regarding this. And we did not talk about this before the podcast. Um, the, did you see the news yesterday? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't know what you're. Regarding, because there's a lot of stuff on the news. So, at the victory parade yes. for the Chiefs, uh, there was yet another mass shooting. Um, we had a, a fantastic Super Bowl, one of only two Super Bowls that goes to overtime. Uh, there was a little bit of drama on both sides. It was a really great game. It was even pretty well officiated, even though the, the officials let both teams hold with impunity. 
but it wasn't a one-way officiated game, which I think a lot of people were worried about. And it gets sullied by something awful like that. Um, so the people who were victimized in that are are condolences go out to those families i'm not going to use terms like thoughts and prayers because it's completely ineffectual um it doesn't do anything for those people other than condescend to them in my opinion unless somebody appreciates people praying. yeah if, if somebody appreciates that, that cool which i'd uh, say there's probably you know there's probably some hundreds of millions um, in america that would appreciate that but i did i have also seen those uh stand-up comedians so thank you yeah but by the <laughs> but at the at the end of the day though um something that should have been a, a moment of celebration turned into something that was a absolute horror and terror field for people who were just there to celebrate. Yeah. And as a society, we all know the answer and nobody cares. Uh, and that breaks my heart. It really does. So anyhow. Yeah. Horrible situation. Yep. Um, there's a lot of information coming out about, what happened, why happened, how happened, the the issue is that it keeps happening. Right. Um, and whatever solution you propose, um, it's, it's time for some action to happen. Yeah. It, <laughs> whatever solution you are proposing, because I know that we could, even you and I could probably split hairs on exactly what that looks like, but at some point, um, man. We, we, we shouldn't. How many, how many safe environments aren't safe anymore? All of them. Yeah. Yeah, all so, of them. Yes, um, I will think and pray, and you will offer condolences, <laughs> and uh, whichever um, whichever is helpful. You know. Anyway, uh, I don't really know exactly how to segue. I wasn't ready for that. Next yeah, time, I wasn't. Next ready time for you bring either. up a uh, national tragedy, I'd appreciate a little bit of a uh, heads yeah. up. Yeah, I, I apologize uh, that I didn't give you that heads up, but it's something that I felt a little bit bush league on our part. But. It, well, I think I feel like it's something that would have been. Uh, remiss of us not to at least yeah. acknowledge yeah. occurred around this situation. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, Want to talk some uh, releases? Well, let's just talk one release. Let's just dive into this. The a little big bit. release. The big release that we get excited about every year. Top Series One has released for 2024. Um, handful of big names that people are looking for: Dominguez, Ellie. Uh, Christian Encarnacio Strand, Junior Caminero, Evan Carter, and many more. Um, but they've done a few new things with this set. First off, let's talk about the border, the two-tone border. It is a very polarizing uh, border. People love it or people hate it. I am in the, nope, no thanks for me. So when I, I picked up a few hangers yesterday because it was the first day it was out. And when I saw the design originally, I was kind of like you, like, I don't know about this. When I ripped it, it's not as bad as I felt like it was. It's still not my favorite design ever. Uh, I will say that it's an interesting choice to go with a polarizing design when the insert card, the throwback insert card in this year's is 89 tops, which may be one of the uglier <laughs> sets that tops ever produced. Yeah. So having the one of the uglier sets tops ever produced as the insert set along with a overall design that is not at the top of the rankings in my opinion now that being said the design is at least original the last four or five years we've gotten some variation of an older tops design if you look at it you go oh they just decided like last year 
go look at 83 tops and go look at last year and you're going to go, oh, they just made the round edges square. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that's all they did. Yeah. Um, at least it's an original design. Uh, I do think that people will like the fact that it's going to be very easy to determine centering. It's going to be very easy to determine. True. You know, stuff like that. But that dark border at the top, tens are going to be tough. That's something to think about. You know, tens are going to be tough. If you're stocking up on a rookie and you've got one that's not whited out. Now, here's the deal. For those of you that started right when the boom was happening around COVID era of, of hobby yeah. uh, cards, if you plan on flipping cards, you better already have some on the way from a break or some that you already are sending off to your preferred grader. And as soon as you receive those, hopefully you expedite it. Get those things listed on eBay or get them for sale wherever you sell them. Because in two months, thousands upon thousands of those are flooding the market and your value will drop. Unless somebody starts out with a historic or incredible, you know, Ellie could, you know, the things maybe he was struggling with later in the season, maybe he's adapted to that and he comes out and he hits for the cycle, you know, something like that could happen. But um, flagship paper base is a cool collector's card but it sure as hell shouldn't be an investment card right um now if you can player buy, lots would be a little different yeah if you can buy a load of stuff for 20 25 cents a piece then yeah mm-hmm. now it's a different ball game uh or if you want to hold it for 15 or 20 years that's a different ball game but you're not buying a base ellie for three dollars this week and selling it for eight dollars next week um it's just not how flagship works now numbered stuff colored stuff variations sure. things like that different ball game but just base stuff if you want it for your collection to have say hey i've got ellie's flagship rookie card absolutely you should buy it spend your three to five bucks on it and be happy that you own it mm-hmm. but don't be buying that card thinking it's going to make you rich in 10 years because right. it's not yep um Let's talk a little bit about variations. So, first off, so I'm sitting in one of our favorite uh, card shops. Um, you referenced Mike a lot, father and son over in Powell. Um, I've been spending a little bit of money over there the last month or two and really have enjoyed just hanging out in that shop. It's a, uh, it's my favorite shop in central Ohio. Family-friendly, good allocations, a lot of really good mid-end, low to mid-end cards, and then they have some... I don't know if you saw it. They just dropped uh, Brady 101. Uh, was it 2000 and is it 2001? It's a green border. It's not tops, though. Yeah, it's score. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, they got some new Ruth, DiMaggio. Anyway, a bunch of cool stuff. Um, they, uh, I, I'm over there digging through, building out some piles for show inventory. And uh, Mike has uh, opened up a box. It's release day for Series 1. And he comes there and says, hey, take a look at this. So um, there are a lot of little subsets and foils and variations. But one thing that they've appeared to do is uh, a little bit of what Panini did with some of their baseball, where you have, like, he, he brought one over to me that just had a bunch of fish and a foil background laid over top of a card. It was like an orange hollow, blah, blah, blah. So I started talking with him about it and said, well, I understand that Fanatics was going to discontinue big league, so um, maybe this is an attempt to kind of bring in the the younger collector because you know big league was more targeted towards a kid friendly hobby rip. Mike stared at me weird. I didn't know why. Now I know that apparently they did not discontinue <laughs> big league, but 
it looks like Fanatics is trying to build out some other subsets that are maybe a little more kid-friendly or maybe trying to tap into some of that mosaic market where the rainbow can have 50 variations. Yeah, it's it's just creating it's creating a false sense of scarcity yeah. on some of this stuff yeah. is what it is. Uh, you brought up a really cool Easter egg. I'll let you talk about it. Uh, cool is it? Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, is, interesting. Uh, I would not call this a long hold. <laughs> no, so... One of the things that Tops did this year, so last year it was hidden gems. This year these are numbered, and they may still do hidden gems this year. I don't know because uh, they're not on the checklist. I haven't seen any pop up yet, but they're one in six hobby cases and 15 retail cases. So, um, But they did an insert set, and it's the not an insert, but it's a base card, but there is, depending on the card, somewhere in the picture, Kevin Hart is hidden. I've seen a couple where he's like sitting on the border of the card. They're all numbered to 52 because Kevin Hart's five foot two. It's a really weird thing, but I imagine that they will be relatively sought after. Yeah. So when they had like the influencer cards, was that top now? Was, or was it was it? in big league. It was in big league. Yeah. yeah. So some local shop owners in that. So at least this is like an A-list celebrity. However, okay, so first off, if I pull a of 52 out of flagship tops, that's a big hit. That's yeah. a that's a big hit. Like of 52, when you think of how produced this is, all that, that's that's it's a really like, it's like a great a true goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Um man, I'd have a hard time thinking that I want to own that card in 3 years or next year because Unless you were trying to build the whole set of or that card. Or unless this is a complete failure and it's the only year that Tops does this. Right. But I think we're only going to see more and more of this. It's the, it's going to be kind of, I think, the Fanatic's way of bringing more people into the sports card hobby to cross over the entertainment Yeah, uh, and I'll world. Also, also, I'm just going to say this because I'm, I'm one of the uh, – well, this is my category – I, I need to lower my expectations of what I'm pulling out of Top Series 1. What is this product? If you are expecting to hit something that is going to be a big hit that you're just looking for, you're probably in the wrong product. Correct. This is the affordable. You get a ton of packs. What is it, like 90 bucks a hobby box right now? Yep. Um, Megas are like 60, and they have about the same number of cards as a hobby box. Yep. They just don't guarantee anything. Yep. But neither do hobby. Hobby boxes guarantee a relic or an auto. And that relic and could a relic. destroy you. Well, it's normally a... If you buy a case of hobby, you're going to hit two autos and yep. ten relics. Yep. Like, it's just how it is. Yeah. Um, but that product is an introduction. It's the product that most of us started on. It's probably a good chance if your first... Cards that you open were baseball cards that you were opening some tops, you know, flagship, um, some paper. If you're wanting big cards, huge cards, and you don't want Kevin Hart and all this other stuff on there, you probably need to bump up your budget a little bit or just buy singles. Well, and don't um, buy Allen and Ginter ever. Yeah, although somebody <laughs> sent me a, uh older Allen and Ginter Ichiro Rainbow that was completed except for the one-on-ones. Yeah. I liked it. No, Allen and Ginter's a cool set, but if you don't want cards of tractors or celebrities, yeah. it's maybe not the This is a image of a retina. Yeah. <laughs> because the irony is they're going to be looking at it, not knowing why it's there. Um, So, yeah, uh, Top Series 1. So they got this. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's probably good overall for the hobby that they're doing some of this. 
I really don't need 50 subsets inside of a product. Um, you know, the example for me is I'm not a big mosaic fan, you know, on, on the panini end of it. I don't need that many variations. I don't need that many products. I don't like do your refractors, do your, <laughs> do your color and all that. But I still will probably go pick up a few megas and rip those store away. Again, if you're like on the investment side, the only play really, in my opinion, that is, you know, a lower risk is buy them, sleeve all the rookies, put them in a box. If somebody pops, sell the lot, you know, you have 10 of them. Now you're selling them and they've gone up five bucks or six bucks or seven bucks. If it's short print, you can send it off to graded or sell it. But I sure love going through some of my top stuff and finding rookies from four or five years ago. They're like, oh, wow, these are four or five dollars a piece now. I didn't expect yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's out. You want to uh, talk about some uh, pickups this week? Oh, my gosh. It wasn't on our list, but we both we both were uh, yeah. in buying mode this week pretty hard. Yeah. We both got our next card for the uh, mm -hmm. for the 5K. Yep. You tell them what you got. Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, the uh, I had just sold the Jordan right before last episode. I actually got paid uh, on the bottoms deal for that. Right. Um, right away. Um, man, when you put out a feeler, here's what I'm looking for. It's still tough to get anything close or people that are willing to be within your budget on it. I had done a few sales on Facebook, um, and made a, you know, little chunk of change to upgrade my inventory. As I mentioned, I'm trying to move out of this one and $2 box stuff, maybe have one box of each and then just really beef up for the most part, like 10 to $50 cards. Right. Um, I did happen to stumble across when I told somebody I was looking for lots a uh, Anthony Munoz one of one. Um, it's out of Zenith. It's a really cool image of him. Uh, there's sticker autos, I believe. Let me double check. Um, but uh, it, I, I, I tried to do some research on it. I could not find much in the way of one of ones <laughs> of Munoz. I think it's a super no brainer for me with having card shows in Ohio um, to have one of the greats on there. Um, so I, I was really pumped with that. Um, I, um, what else did I pick up? I picked up so many lots. Well, you, um, you got your, you got your new card for the challenge, yeah. which was, uh, 2013, um, tops Chrome purple refractor, Arenado PSA 10. It's a card I might actually buy from you. Like, well, you're going to try to work me down on the price, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, I picked it up for 270. I posted it in the group. So it was interesting. This guy had, I have had a hard time finding. So the price point that has been challenging for me to find um, is the three to four hundred dollar range. There just has been a lot of one, one fifty, maybe two, two twenty five, and then it just kind of leaps to five hundred. Um, and I don't know if you found that. Maybe it's just what I'm interested in is that way, right? But um, I didn't see much. This guy had three fifty on this card. I said two seventy. He said uh, maybe three twenty. Um, and then I looked around, he had some other cards that were good for the showcase. So my philosophy was if I could buy another card from him at exactly what he's asking, and it's an interesting card that draws people to my showcase, even if I can't make much off of that card, but I can bring that Arenado down to the price I'm wanting by kind of bundling that, um, it's worth it. So that's what I did. Uh, I picked up a, a Manny Machado gold mini uh, tops rookie number to 62 in a SGC. Nine. Really cool card. Um, comps are a couple over the last few years. Um, 
it's a card that because it's a mini, um, the pack that it was in, like those cards move around, so edges are usually pretty torn up if it's a gold or a black or, or whatever. Uh, it's SGC, not PSA slab, but this is somebody who, just like Arenado, I, I picked up, I mean, between Munoz, the Arenado, and the Machado, those are three PC collector bases. Yeah, and Machado's about as close to a first ballot lock outside of Arenado and a couple other pitchers right now that is playing. Yeah, I picked up another one that will be, this isn't one of my PCs, but it's the wrong uniform. Uh, Ricky Williams, flawless on-card auto in the Saints uniform to, I think it was like to 25 in a BGS 9 or 9.5? I think it was a 9. It was a 9. Yeah. So, um, really pretty card, but those thick cards are tough grades. Um, and then a bunch of, um, like, ultra-modern football rookie patches and autos. Um, not huge cards, but a lot of stuff. So, I was really proud that I didn't do what I usually do, which is go buy $500 worth of dollar cards for 50 bucks over and over right. and over. The problem is that's a really good way to make a thousand bucks a week on Facebook. The problem is you're spending two days on that, right? Um, so I'm really trying to beef up what I have in my inventory. I was really excited about those. I think I'll get three fifty out of the Arenado. Um, there are a couple comps pushing four hundred. There's one around three ten, three twenty, but almost all of them are at three fifty. And it's you know it's color match for the and Rocky. You uniform. don't see it. You don't no. see that card very often. No. Uh, to an Aeronauta collector that runs into it at the show, uh, the next show I do, man, I wish it was coming in today, but it won't be here yet. Um, it could do north of 350 So uh, I feel really good about that purchase. I was starting to, and you and I both been through this, where it just feels like, man, how is there nobody that has right. something <laughs> like in that ballpark that will work with me? Um, I already have an eye on another card I want if I can move this quickly. With an interesting strategy, a card okay. that I may crack and resub. Okay. Um, if I can get it at the price. The challenge, though, is, you know, with Gary and I both, so far we've been moving cards pretty quickly. Yeah. And if you uh, buy the right stuff, it does. I don't want to lose out too much because I'm trying to play a little bit of catch up. I I think I will close the gap a little bit because I think my Arenado will sell before yours. I could be wrong. I do think it will. I think I, if I can make another sale before your next one now. I'm getting like I'm etching, you know, within that hundred dollar range if I can make a quick purchase. Yeah. Um. So I talked a long time there. No, but that's what okay. have you picked up recently, and what are you uh, doing on the challenge? So challenge wise, uh, I picked up that uh, 2017 unparalleled TJ Watt uh, rookie auto PSA 10. It's a pop two. There is one comp. The other one, not the that's pop two. So the other. One of the pop sold. It's a color match. It's a yellow uh, refractor auto. Uh, the other one sold for seven hundred bucks. Uh, I got this for four, so I was pretty pleased. Uh, I think it should be a very easy card to move at five fifty to six hundred dollars. Uh, T.J. Watt doesn't have a lot of autos out there. He doesn't have a lot of rookie autos out there. I think he was only, I think he only had a rookie auto in three or four products mm -hmm. that year. Uh, so getting something like this that's a super low pop card that's a team color match PSA 10 uh auto rookie auto should move pretty pretty good I picked up uh let's see what else did I pick up in the last few uh last week or so I picked up a couple of Mar Manny Machado rookies myself um Bowman rookies 
refractors, both numbered to 35, uh, BGS 95s that I got for a song. Was very pleased with that. I think I picked a pair of them up for 300 bucks, three and change. Bought a Joey Bosa Phoenix uh, NFL Shield RPA for pretty cheap, uh, at least for a one of one, I thought. It was pretty cheap. Even though Bosa gets hurt a lot when he's healthy, he's one of the best, and he's an Ohio State guy. So being here, it's kind of a no-brainer to pick that up. Bought some more Nelson Rada stuff, a um, little bit of Anthony Volpe stuff that I picked up for, for really solid prices. I bought a Tony Gwynn Auto, uh, Upper Deck Sweet Spots. I really like that one. It's a beautiful card, gold foil, um, really pretty card. See, what else have I picked up this week? I bought that big lot of... Uh, Patches, numbered patches and autos and stuff from the 2000s over at Xenia last week. Xenia was weird this month. I went to to buy, and I did buy some stuff, but I was trying to buy a challenge card, and I told you this, like there was a ton of cards in the $200 range, and there were a ton of cards in the 1,000 plus range, but Mm -hmm. there was almost nothing in that $400 to $500 range. and what was in that four to five hundred dollar range were actually two hundred and two hundred fifty dollar cards that people were trying to sell for four to five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did buy a card, and it wasn't for the challenge. And I played by the rules of the challenge. And I called you and even told you that. And you were like, "Well, you could have done that." I was like, "No, that is against the spirit of the challenge." It really would have hurt me. <laughs> um, I bought a Matt McLean uh, PSA ten gold rookie auto ten uh, ten, uh, and I got it for what felt like an absolute steal. Um, and I was able to do that because some people will sell off of one comp. And the card only has one comp as a PSA 10. It's like a pop five card. Mm-hmm. It's not a high pop card. Um, Raws sell for 240 to 260 consistently. There was one PSA 10 comp that sold on like a Tuesday at four in the morning for 310 mm-hmm. so i was able to get the card for 300 bucks four days later at sgc 95 sold for 360 so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i think it's every bit of a five to six hundred dollar card especially once spring training yeah. kicks in yeah um i think it's every bit of a five to six hundred dollar card so pick that up um yeah it's it, i've been there's been a lot of buying pick, like i said the boston nelson rob stuff about a true gold Bought a uh, of ten Bowman Platinum, but still an of ten auto. I had uh, a card kind of like that. I picked up the Wimbenyana NBA Hoops Sheesh. Have you seen this? Uh. Uh-uh. It's a hold on. Let me pull up a photo <laughs> for you. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but it it was uh you know the Wimbenyana stuff. It's interesting because everybody's complaining about where his autos are, this and that. So I, in my opinion, I'm snagging up. If there's an insert rookie. That's just a little bit. I mean, and I don't think I spent a lot on this, maybe 20, 30 bucks. Um, I'm trying to find the image here. But um, I bought a press proof retro series Wimbanyana for like five bucks. Mm-hmm. It's like a $30 card. Uh, while you're pulling that up, though, I I picked that stuff up. The Radas that I bought this week, I bought a, an orange uh, Bowman first. I bought a gold Bowman first. I bought the Of 10 Platinum Auto. I bought a PSA 9 refractor auto uh and i bought a volpe aqua tops chrome oh that's interesting yeah interesting insert isn't a psa 8 so i'm getting you know raw whatever but 
It's a Wimbignana rookie. And it's I mean, if you pay cheap enough for it and it goes raw for 20 to 30 bucks, crack that thing and yeah. sell it raw. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a lot was picked up. Yeah, it's, it's been a big, big, big buying week. Uh, the the second Rada lot that I bought yesterday was a left field one. I wasn't planning on spending the extra money this week, but it was too good of a deal to, yeah, too good of a deal to pass up. Um, okay, where were we? Well, uh, we got to get into some prospecting. Yeah, it's here. prospecting time. All right. Um, so we are running through the eighties. Um, 80 to 71 um, out of Gary's top 100 list that we've been working through. And I will let you get this kicked off. Um, first one we're going to talk about is one that you're really leaning pretty heavy on, Nelson Rada. Yeah, so Rada is, checks in at number 80 on my list. Now, you're going to, if you're a prospecting person, you will see him, if he's on other people's lists, uh, he's going to be in the low 90s in all likelihood. I'm just really high on this kid. I'm not high on him because I bought his cards. I bought his cards because I'm high on him. I made one accusation, and he needs to point that he out. Is, he just turned 18 like three weeks ago. He spent his entire season last year as a 17-year-old in full season ball in low A, um, where he uh, all he did playing – almost four years under the average age in the league. All, all he did was uh, lead the league in hits, uh, had an OBP at almost 400, um, walked just about as much as he struck out, and played really good defense, stole a lot of bags, and is a non-roster invitee to spring training just turning 18. Uh, he's not going to stick with the big club, don't have any weird ideas that that's going to happen. But just the fact that a kid who spent an entire year at 17 in low A got a non-roster invitee to spring training is a big, big deal. Um, Jason and I don't necessarily disagree on his swing. We just disagree on outcomes with him. I think that he has the the frame and projectability to grow into average power. Right now he's fringe, uh, a little bit below average, a tick below average. But when he barrels the ball up, he is touching EVs in that 107 to 109 range. That's average power. Average power is in 15 to 20 jacks. If you play, If you hit 15 to 20 jacks, play gold glove caliber defense, steal 30 to 40 bases, and hit 300, you're an all-star player. Yeah, I think Rada is going to hit 300. I do think he's going to steal those bases. I don't think he'll have that many jacks. A uh, few reasons with the swing. One, I don't think the power is – well, let me say this. I don't think the power is consistently there. When he hits the bat on the ball, you'll watch – if you watch his highlights, a ton of just like blazing line drives through the infield. He hits the ball on the ground hard. Um and it's in a line. So you can actually, when you, I mean, this is, seems pretty obvious, but maybe maybe you're not aware. When you see somebody hit a hard ground ball, there is a choppy style of a hard ground ball, and then there's a ball that's just kind of skimming, uh, like <laughs> as if you bladed it uh, right. know, 90 yards out, hypothetically. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> um, the ball is moving through the infield. I think he will be a really good contact line drive uh he'll get a lot of two bags three bags because he's got some speed i don't think he 
has a swing that is set up for the launch angle or I don't I think he's somebody where there'll be a lot of line drives that carry and end up being home runs. Do you think that's a strength issue though? Because No, I think when it's a I swing watch, issue. So I think it's a swing I issue. When I watch him swing, the reason I ask that. I know you want this to be a 30 jack guy. I don't no, think no, he's no. going to be a 30 I, jack I don't, guy. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a 30 jack guy either, but I'm asking you a question from a mechanic standpoint, okay? The reason I ask that is because when he sees a pitch that he wants to get into, he really tends to drop his hands in his load. The rest of the time, the hands stay pretty quiet. Is that because he needs to grow into some man strength so he doesn't need to get that extra little whippy action to generate power? And if so, when he gets into that man strength, do those line drives turn into some home runs? I think his swing is designed for line drive hitting. And there are a few guys on this list where it is a very different swing. You know, one that we're not going to talk about a whole lot. I don't think we're even mentioning him because we talked about him last year is Jacob Melton. That man swings. His swing is designed to for long, high fly drives yeah. and fly balls. I do not see this with him. I think Rod is going to be fantastic. I think it's a lot. When you're talking about the hands, that's even more of a tell of somebody who is perfectly content finding a gap for the single or yeah. double rather yeah. than like, Oh, I got a good read on this pitch. I'm driving this as far as I can. Yeah. I think he has a great eye for where the ball is, where the pitch is going to be, and in relation where that ball needs to go. Yeah. And that is why I see, see those adjustments with his hands. So I think fantastic contact. When I say I don't think he's a power hit, I don't mean that he's not hitting the ball hard. I think that his swing is not set up to hit a lot of home runs. Not a lot of lift. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, but we, we both like him there. I, I think he will get stronger. He's not like super tall. What you say, 5'10? Yep. Um, but. Um, still good. Um, okay. Am I is my guy up next? Uh, uh, both of us are talking through this. Um, we're staying with Ohio Manzardo, the Guardians. Um, I'll kind of give my little note here, and then I'll let you give your monologue because you've got a lot of good info on him. But the thing that I really liked with him is with Manzardo, he stays low and stays with the pitch. So uh, we talked about this last week with one of the other hitters. He kind of keeps a lower frame. And he allows the pitch to dictate his level on his swing. So contrary to like your Spencer Jones that's going to stand up and just hoop at it, this guy is going to stay with the ball. Um, typically, if somebody has a good contact rate, they're going to get on base a lot with this because they're super super dialed into where the ball is going. They uh, have an ability to put the ball opposite field. Um, and... Um, he really seems to stay with the pitch. He seems pretty disciplined with that. So I, I'm pretty big on him. He's in 2021 uh, Bowman draft. Yeah, so Manzardo was drafted by the Rays. Uh, the Rays are really good at identifying under-the-radar bats. They just always have been, and then they develop them into what they want them to be. Uh, Manzardo was a Washington State guy um, in college. He was on the radar, but... Once he got into private workouts and interviews, he really started to rise. There was a lot of helium there. And he's just got a great makeup. Um, in 2022, he came, a lot of people, for a lot of people, he came out of nowhere. And he looked like the best bat in the Rays system. Uh, and it's still the case. There's not any weaknesses at the plate. He's got a 60-grade hit tool. He's a plus hit tool guy. He's a plus power guy. I think he could be a 
uh, a legitimate plus borderline plus plus power guy. Uh, defensively, he's fine. He's a first baseman. He's not going to play anywhere else. I don't think he has the arm to play in the outfield, at least not if you want to get anything really out of him there. And he's not going to steal any bases. Uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot of Freddie Freeman to his game yeah. uh, at the plate. There's a lot of Freddie Freeman there. And I think that the Guardians identified him as the guy they wanted. Uh, I think that he's going to open the season as the opening day first baseman uh, for the Guardians. I think that throughout the season, he'll be the long side of a first place platoon with Josh Naylor. And whoever's not in the field that day is going to be the DH. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than injury, I, I think that he has a sneaky, uh, sneaky opportunity to be in the thick of that AL Rookie of the Year conversation mm. this year. Um, because he's going to hit. He, he's going to hit. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, all right. Up next, it was probably my favorite one in this um, this little batch that we're going through, Austin Wells. Um, so we, we talked about Jason Young last, last week and how he has this, like, disciplined, consistent swing. It's a little bit unorthodox because the bat's a little flat as it's starting, but because of that, his bat on ball is, is, is impressive, right? So um, with – with Austin Wells, here is what I was really impressed with. He is built like somebody who has the same swing every time, just like Josh Young. He's not. He is not that guy. He gets very creative. If you watch some highlight videos of him, you'll see his hands in a few different places. He is... Very few people have hands that they can adjust to what is happening in the pitch. Um, he's just got it. Um, some of these like high outside stuff that he should stay away from. He can put in play on a line. Um, his ability to get creative with the pitch has been really impressive to watch. And uh, I think he is going to be a huge asset uh, with the bat. Um, like you made note of, we're not quite sure that his arm is there, uh, which it's is bad. A, which is an issue, yeah. which is an issue. Uh, but his bat is is very very impressive, and you know you stated he just consistently provides the same numbers. Um, He's been the same guy yeah. since he was drafted. He was drafted in twenty twenty. Um, most prospects either rise really fast or fall really fast. And Wells is a guy who just came out of college and said, oh, I was doing this in college. The only difference is I have a wood bat now. That's not that big of a deal. And he just has continued to do that. Uh, He's a guy I think is going to hit 250 to 270. He has, especially in Yankee Stadium, he's a 25 to 30 home run guy. Um, He's not going to steal any bags, really. I mean, he stole some in the minors, but he's not fast. And he's a catcher the issue that I think is going to plague Wells, and it's why I really struggle with how to rank him and Manzardo. Uh, I think that there is a world where Wells ends up as a first baseman or a DH. Hmm. Uh, He's fine blocking. He's okay framing. He's okay receiving. But, man, I could steal second base off of him. (laughs) Um, His arm is – that might be an exaggeration, but it's not – Might? It's not much of an exaggeration. How many steps before you're upright in your run? (laughs) The over-under is at five. <laughs> That's fair. I, I, hold on, hold on, hold on. First off, if the pitcher checked back to one, the top of your body would leave <laughs> below the knees. <laughs> just separate. 
your cleats would be stuck in the dirt. Am I wrong in any way? Probably not at this point, no. Uh, uh, just a bag of powder from the, the waist down. <laughs> the point being that that he really, his arm is weak. Yeah. Uh, and the delivery the is bad. Like, it's long. Like, the best catchers get the ball to the ear and it's out. The, the he's almost that, got a wind up when he throws to second. The other thing that he's up against is you've listened to any prospecting stuff with us over the last year, year and a half, maybe two. There's a lot of catchers getting a lot of looks right now. Yeah. It is a very catcher heavy, heavy from prospect. a hobby yeah. standpoint though. He is a Yankee, which will help. Yep. Which will definitely help. And he's in 2020 Bowman draft. If you're looking for his cards. Yep. Um, all right. Just a couple left here. Um, up next, this guy's, this guy put some stank on it. Okay. Also, I feel like he has a classic, iconic vintage baseball name. Okay. Two things going for him. Okay. Three, he's definitely a Brad or Chad. He'd be lifting them weights. <laughs> um, Hurston Waldrop. Now. Braves. 2023 first round pick. I think he was 24 overall. If you haven't watched how he strikes people out swinging. How silly he makes these hitters look. Like, guys with a good swing all of a sudden look like they're chopping with an axe. They have a maul and they're splitting wood. <laughs> they don't know what to do. I knew you were very excited when you started watching this guy's highlights. Yeah. Um, now, the level that he's playing at, he made it to AAA in his first year. Yeah. Um he, um, but the the movement that um, that he has on some of this, the splitter, um, the when the when I say the ball just falls off, you're gonna see more dirt kicked up on his strikeouts than just about any the, other prospect. The right now. splitter is absolutely filthy. Yeah. Uh, it's almost so it's weird. So probably a little too deep in the weeds for some of you guys, but I'll try not to stay there too long. The way a splitter is held, most guys hold it a little closer to the fingertips. He's real deep with it. Like the ball sits way back in his hand on this splitter. And it comes out, and if you watch it in slow-mo, it is not spinning much. It's not like a knuckleball where it doesn't spin at all. But normally a splitter is going to have 2,200 RPMs, 2,100 RPMs. This thing maybe is coming in at a thousand RPMs, and you're right. When when he's on with it, it just falls off the table. Well, and it, he gets enough velocity still with the pitch without yeah, that spin. Yeah, well, and the, and the, he tunnels things really well. The arm yeah. speed stays very consistent um, because of the, the fact that his main pitch is that splitter, and because of the nature of how he holds it. He's never going to be like a Maddox as far as command goes. And that's going to limit his ceiling. But I think worst case scenario, he's a really good five. Mm -hmm. um, like worst case scenario. And I think that he has the ceiling of being a really high end number three. Uh, and that's a very, very valuable, oh, yeah. very valuable pitcher to have. And I think that he has every opportunity to be a part of this Braves rotation coming out. Uh, of spring training this year and one of the things that teams are starting to figure out especially with these college arms is if they're ready you don't want to waste a bunch of bullets in the minors mm -hmm. like yeah with the proliferation of tommy john surgery the way these guys throw the amount of torque that gets on the arm you don't want to waste a bunch of bullets mm -hmm. um you know throwing pitches in greenville 
Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I'll probably be buying some of his stuff this week. 23 Bowman draft. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't watched, it is fun to watch. He's a, he's an entertaining pitcher. He's got a big personality. Um, he carries himself a little bit like Baker Mayfield did coming into football. Yeah. So be ready for that. Uh, he was a Florida Gator, I believe. So yeah. makes sense. Well, so he, <laughs> he transferred to Florida uh-huh. uh, for his draft year because he wanted to get some eyes. Yeah. Uh, but Waldrip, uh, I mean, I'm rooting for the kid. That's just kind of how I feel about it. All right. This last one's a deep dive. If you like deep tracks, you go to a concert and you're a big fan and you're like, man, <laughs> I've never heard that song played live. That's kind of how I feel about this one. Some really grainy video uh, coming in. Uh, Leodalis De Vries. De Vries. I oh, mean, I was close. Um, I was not able to find more than just a couple videos of this swing, um, but I did find someone that I thought was very similar with, but I'll let you jump in first here. Yeah, so um, if you want to see some film on Leodalis De Vries, um, shout out a great YouTube channel that we found, uh, the Castro brothers. If you are a baseball nerd and you want to get some deep dive on mechanics and comparisons, these guys are really, really good. Um, and they've got some good content on DeVries. So DeVries, uh, has been since he was probably 13 years old, 12 or 13 years old, considered the number one guy for his class in the IFA period. So he was the number one ranked IFA guy not named Yamamoto this year that was eligible to not that had never played professionally. So quite a qualifier. Yeah. Um six foot two, hundred and eighty five pounds. He's from the same town in the Dominican Republic as uh Jose Ramirez and uh kind of styles his game after Ramirez. He's a shortstop, he's a switch hitter. Um he really has the potential to have four plus tools. Uh, I don't, I don't think that he's ever going to, uh, your arm is kind of your arm. So the arm is always going to be kind of, you know, average to fringe plus it's not great, but the power, uh, is there. He is going to add another 20 pounds, 15 pounds of muscle, like good body weight. And, I think that he signed uh, with the Padres for 4.2 or 4.8 million, something like that. Um, There's just a lot of juice there. Really good movements, good motions, uh, good actions in the field. Uh, He can run. Uh, He has 60 power game power right now. The hit tool is currently average. Uh, Some guys even have it ranked as fringe plus. I don't think it's quite there yet, but I think it becomes plus. 17-year-olds that haven't faced a lot of real competition, it's a little tough, but just the the raw physical attributes that the kid has, the athleticism that's apparent in the swing. Um, the Padres tend to push their guys aggressively. Ethan Salas got to double A as a 17-year-old last year, um, which was just crazyville. So I would not be shocked at all if DeVries just goes straight to the complex this year. Um and doesn't play in the DSL at all. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if he goes straight to the complex. Word out of San Diego, the guys out there, he's been in their off-season program, um, is that he's more advanced than they even thought he was as far as pitch recognition and, and patience. There's a lot, a lot, a lot to dream on uh, with this guy. You, I when can you, tell. When you saw... <laughs> 
well, you're seven minutes into this guy. Well, when you saw his swing, I was it was very interesting to me the the thing that immediately jumped into your mind, and you were right. I'll let you kind of dive into. He it. He has if, a if, swing that looks almost exactly like Alfonso Soriano. If he be, if he becomes Alfonso Soriano, yeah. that's a huge win. Yeah. Um, full extension as soon as the bat gets through the zone. Um, kind of. Uh, I want to say like a lanky swing, but it's one where you can get a lot of leverage on the ball. Um, I'm not going to get too carried away. There's the back arm gets a little a little chicken wingy sometimes. Yeah, he's but got some. He's work. trying to create yeah. juice that he'll way. add some weight. Um, similar build, uh, but man, it was kind of uncanny because what I was just staring at. I was like, wait a minute, I've seen the swing. Uh, we went and watched the slow mo, and it's it's pretty close. Um, yeah. And he'll but, be uh, in 2024 Bowman Chrome, guys. He doesn't have any license yeah. cards yet. He'll be in Chrome. That's where the IFA guys I'll keep an up. eye on him. I sure don't have a whole lot of footage to go off of with this. Uh, but, yeah, it, he's got pop and a uh, young guy, and there's a lot of excitement around him. So, uh, man, we've made it through. 30 prospects. Can you believe there's about to be a fourth week where we talk about prospecting? And we got a few more after that, but we're only hitting part of it. Guys, I am going to start posting to the Facebook group this week write-ups for the guys we we haven't been talking about. I'll drop them in in 10-player chunks so you can see my write-ups and grades, uh, and that way you can, if you care. If you don't care, no worries. If you do care, let me know that you enjoyed it. Uh, This is – this. Putting this list together and and studying it and and grading these guys out, it's a lot of work. Uh, I enjoy every minute of it. Uh, Hopefully it provides some value for you guys as well. Yeah. This has been the Ball Card Show, the sports podcast. For the sports collector. Bye now. Peace.